and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and I'm back from my time away, and I'm glad to be back. Actually, did a great job while I was gone. Thanks, I tried. All right. Um, on today's episode, we're going to talk about a genre that defined our childhood, action films. Those cheesy, bloody, stupid monstrosities of yesteryear. Yes, before we had Star-Lord and Tony Stark, we had Stallone and Schwarzenegger. So that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But unfortunately, before we do that, I feel that we should take a moment to address something that happened while I was away on leave. And many of you that followed us on social media are already aware of this. But in late March, early April, a now 80-page document was compiled and released detailing a list of grievances by former producers of Channel Awesome. Uh, Channel Awesome is a website best known for the Nostalgia Critic. Um, and they did play a big inspiration in this podcast. They also put out a lot of other great producers, which we don't have time to go over. <laughs> There's so many. A uh, brief summary of these grievances listed are a lack of pay, rampant misogyny, verbal abuse, harassment, career sabotage, and failing to act when notified that a producer was using his position to sexually assault fans. The full document will be listed in the description below. I advise you read through this and make your own opinion. Um, Channel Awesome's first response to this went out on Twitter maybe a couple days after. Their apology included lines like, we sincerely regret you felt that way. And then uh, about after two weeks of silence, they then chose to go respond, come back with a long post that the starting line of that is, since the posting of the Not So Awesome document on Monday, April 2nd, 2018, we have been exploring all our options of how to address the lies that have been alleged by multiple disgruntled individuals with vindictive intentions. For me, that was enough to boycott Channel Awesome entirely. Um, again, I advise you to read the document, make your own opinions. I find this whole thing shameful, disgusting, and reprehensible. It's a real bummer to see this happen to what, for me, was a really good general source of entertainment. Um, thank you for listening on this. Axel, any thoughts on this serious topic before we move on to our more fun discussion? Well, my only comment is that if you are, have been a fan of that channel, you know, being Channel Awesome, then you should research it yourself. I personally haven't watched Channel Awesome in something like two years, out of, just out of disinterest, mostly because I fell out with their content, uh, with the exception of Todd in the Shadows, who's a personal favorite of mine, but he's already separated himself from, uh, from the channel for a while now. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't really have anything important to add. I don't feel like I'm in a a particularly good position to offer anything important really just don't believe like things blindly research yourself form your own opinion that's that's all i can say and yeah. uh yeah that's we just wanted to address this because we know a lot of you may have discovered this channel because of our coverage on it on our social media accounts and again this was a big inspiration for me personally to start this and to see it go down this way Kind of a bummer. Well, let's get on to something fun. The actual interesting, geeky conversation that isn't serious. <laughs> uh, we were going to talk about, as you said, uh, 90s movies. Now, Ulrich and I actually describe or define what a 90s movie is differently. I admit my definition is probably um, a bit more literal since I just chose movies that were action-oriented and came out in the 90s. So, you know, when around when I was old enough to start comprehending movies so for example one of the the one of the earliest movies that i i really got into and i still think holds up today is the original teenage Mutant ninja turtles which i don't remember exactly when it was released i think it was like early 90s like 92 or something yeah like it that. was real early 90s i thought yeah so i wasn't old enough at that point but there was a you know a vhs in the house by the time i was old enough you know so, so to watch that i had and the I, entire trilogy growing up <laughs> yeah um i'm not going to really comment on the second and third movies uh, <laughs> <laughs> another time another place yeah that's a, that's a whole episode's worth of content right there but that that first movie i mean i feel like they've they still haven't made a turtles anything really better than that first movie like don't get me wrong i love turtles i love the original 80s cartoon i love the mid-2000s cartoon that was a little more serious i love the nickelodeon cartoon i like the that tmnt animation movie uh 
I hated the 2014 or 50, whatever that movie was, but that's a, that's a different thing entirely. Point is I'm a big turtles fan. Hell, my, my lady just bought me a like blanket with the original four turtles on it. Cause she knows that that's something I really like. Like I've got like three different turtles blankets. I don't know why they're blankets all the time, but yeah, I've always been a big fan of the turtles and that original movie is kind of like the perfect way to have them like a perfect combination of the original parody grit comic and the like 80s cartoon so yeah the animatronics or the suits still you know it's funny about the suits because it's like one of my problems with that that new uh ish movie that came out a couple years ago that had supposedly the great cg like they looked way more fake than the than the puppets did back in the you know early 90s movie i mean admittedly those puppets were jim henson who's a god of puppets so there was some dark magic involved with his puppetry okay <laughs> i can agree with that oh, unfortunately uh so my so the artist for this channel and by artist i mean the guy who drew like our background that you're possibly looking at right now uh my my brother cj um fry he's also a huge turtles fan and i remember he we had a conversation where someone told him where the eye holes on the suit are and now he can't not see them and i've I've managed to stay away from that and i've like i've purposely shied away from any hint of that i don't want to know i don't want anyone to tell me (laughs) i don't want that that illusion broken (laughs) so yeah no but uh so yeah so Actually, for the movie, so anyone who is young enough that like they might not have seen this movie, like I know there are plenty of people who are kids now who like their first Turtles is the the Nickelodeon show, which is actually pretty good, or the the terrible movie. And there is certainly a like um, a stigma, for lack of a better term, against old kinds of uh, effects. Like I know, for instance, that my lady doesn't actually like the uh, the old Turtles movie because she thinks the suits look bad. I I don't understand that, but that's, I can't process that one. Yeah, that's just she's allowed to think what she wants to think. But <laughs> there's people like that and who haven't seen the movie, right? I mean, it's a Teenage Mutant Turtles movie, so obviously you got the turtles, you got Splinter, you got April O'Neil, Casey Jones, Shredder. Uh, funny enough, the plot line is um, very similar to like the Dark Knight Rises, which I really didn't like. But part of what I really didn't like about it is I was like, this story was done better when in Teenage Mutant Turtles. So in that it's a story about the villain, in this case, Shredder recruiting the, you know, youthful downtrodden uh, essentially to be like, you know, ninjas in the city and commit crimes and, and steal stuff. And anyway, besides the point. So the, that's really all you need to know about the, the plot of the movie. So I guess in that regard, it falls into like, stupid 90s action as you called it because i mean this movie isn't stupid it's just simple right like uh shredder's bad turtles are good they they lose in the midway point and then they have to come back at the end and win that's really all you need to know but what makes it great is you know a lot of the 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 character elements like how the the characters actually relate to each other there's this scene uh in where casey jones first shows up right and him and Raphael just have this fight in the park and it's amazing. And they're just talking about like baseball, like metaphors or, you know, the, the quality of the weapons Casey is wielding. Like uh, he, Casey tries to hit him with this one bat and Raphael catches it. And he's like, tell me you didn't pay money for this. And he hits him with the other bat <laughs> two for one sale. Like those kind of cheesy. See, that, that to me, that's the nineties element. Those dumb kind of corny jokes and the concept of Casey Jones as a vigilante hero is kind of dumb, but it works in the nineties. And I think me personally, the only reason why you've kept him around because he was such an integral part of the beginning of come on. He is a sports themed vigilante. Well, you know, what's funny. I, I don't know if I'm betting he didn't come out first, but there is a DC villain that is that called the sports master. So who's a sports nineties. We were obsessed with sports-themed heroes, villains, and, of course, the extreme, you know, we could cram with anything. I don't know if you remember that god-awful Mighty Ducks cartoon show, but... Yeah, it was bad. Although, as far as extreme goes, I know that uh, at least one good piece of media came out of it, which was the the extreme Goof Troop movie, which is actually pretty good. But yeah, not what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Other things about the Teenage Mutant Turtles movie that, like, really stand out. So... 
there's this scene in the movie where uh, Splinter has been kidnapped, right? And the turtles don't know where he is, but and they all got their asses handed at, handed to them by the foot because as far as the movie is concerned, the turtles are still new to like actually doing what they do. And so they're all on this farm because apparently a lot of movies are like, after your heroes are defeated, they have to go to a farm to recover. Look at you, Age of Ultron. Uh, <laughs> but so the turtles are at, on this farm and uh, like Leonardo is meditating and he thinks he hears Splinter's voice. And then the camera like shows us actually Splinter who like feels Leonardo. So the, the movie has told us, okay, there is some kind of psychic connection here. And so then Leonardo gets his three brothers around this fire and he's like, okay, guys, just come on, listen. And so they all meditate and then the fire turns blue and Splinter's like spirit shows up and he just starts talking to them all about how much he loves them and how this is like the most, the best thing or the, their final test. And no matter what happens, like, you know, he loves them. And I, I still can't watch that without tearing up. Like even talking about it, I can feel my chest start to well a bit. Like it's a really powerful stuff considering it's a mutated rat talking to his mutated turtle sons. You know, it's like surprising how, how hard it can hit. And like, I had to get the uh, moral message in there to make up for all of the violence. <laughs> See, but mom, like, it's really about family. Ignore the uh, man with sharp metal spikes on him. <laughs> True enough. Although the Shredder is awesome in that movie, but my point is that that kind of character stuff right there, like that that recent movie, there's no way that that would have totally fit with how that recent movie. And I'm not gonna. I've talked too much about that already. Anyway, uh, yeah. Then of course there's the Shredder, who is a badass in this movie, like the voice, the character design, everything's great. And when it finally comes down for him to throw down with the turtles, he just kicks their asses. So it feels like you actually feel stakes, you know? So the, the climax of the movie is just really good. <laughs> My only problem with Shredder is he felt a bit small. Um, I mean, like, I guess. In the cartoon, he kind of seemed to always be bigger than the turtles. But in this one, and I know it's given the nature of the bulky costumes, he felt kind of small in comparison. Yeah, that didn't bother me because the whole idea is that Shredder is supposed to be a master ninja. So him being able to use their weight against them and his size difference not being important at all like fits in perfectly with the the aesthetic of him. Okay, fine. You want to call that. But what kind of ninja goes around with blades on his armor that he gets snagged and everything? Uh, I, well, I know that Gaijin That Goomba... was more samurai than ninja. Do you know who Gaijin Goomba is? Yeah. Okay, so Gaijin Goomba, who's one of the best weebs on the internet, he's got a series uh, about how well ninjas are portrayed, right? Oh, ninjas are portrayed terribly. Well, that's the thing. He talks about good examples and bad examples, and he lists the Shredder, particularly the Shredder from this movie, as being one of the better examples of a ninja in, like, in media. Like, not the best, obviously, but one, like... One of the best ones is probably from the Mark of a Ninja game, but that's different. Anyway, but he lists Shredder as being like actually very well done. Like, okay, yeah, a real ninja generally, this is commonly knowledge at this point, doesn't actually uh, advertise that they're a ninja. So sure, the yeah, outfits are a little, yeah. So the outfits a little uh, a little extreme, but it's based on like real kind of like ninja devices, like the claws he wears on his hands and shit. Well, yeah. So. I always just thought it was a ninja versus samurai story with when I was little. That was my idea, is that the Ninja Turtles, obviously they're ninjas, and the enemy of the ninja is the samurai. And that's why I always kind of felt uh, Shredder was supposed to be like a samurai warrior. Uh, there's certainly part of that. Uh, he's, he's kind of more of a, a mixture, I, I would say. But yeah. they're all supposed to be you know, ninjutsu users, primarily. So, And I, I will say that... like. One of the things about the new Turtles series, and I say series, Nickelodeon series, I really like is that in that series, Shredder is this like, or not Shredder, sorry, Splinter is actually like a, a father figure instead of a grandfather figure. So if I'm going to talk about like weaknesses for just a moment of the original Teenage Mutant Turtles movie, and uh, is that that Splinter puppet, while looking really good, I it was hard for me to envision that character teaching the Turtles ninjutsu. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, so like that's that's just a, a nitpicky weakness. Like most of the other weaknesses of the film are are things that like uh like Danny the kid, it just weakens every scene he's in. <laughs> he's like I forgot really... they had a tropey kid character. 
Yeah, which is another thing that was super common in the nineties to, to have. Yeah, we we you know, listen, we we were sold, but the movie execs thought kids will never buy this unless we put a child in danger. Yeah, I think the idea is to have someone that the kids can relate to. But one of the beauties about the Teenage Mutant Turtles as a franchise is that an audience is going to relate to one of the turtles. That's why their personalities are constructed the way they are. That no matter who you are, one of the turtles you're going to, you know, gravitate to more. Yeah, everyone's favorite turtle pretty much tells you everything you need to know about that person. Well, not everything, but I get what you mean. <laughs> so, for the record, Donatello here. Raphael, all the way. Which makes sense. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so like the kid, super annoying. Um, either that or just a waste of space. Like he's either being annoying or he's just wasting our time. Um, April, I know some people have complained that like April doesn't wear the, the yellow jumpsuit. I'm fine with that. I think the actress actually does a perfectly fine job of conveying April. There's only so many things you can convert, and a bright yellow jumpsuit really isn't one of them. I feel like Marvel movies in general have really uh, challenged that notion, but I do understand what you mean. So yeah, and I mean yeah, the, they made the turtle. They got the turtles right, and they exactly. got Shredder right. Any more than that? I love that. Like, if you look closely at the suits there are very important differences between the, the turtles. Like an obvious one, Raphael in that movie, his skin is slightly darker and it's got scars, particularly all around the face. So like you can tell, you know, it shows us that he's, he's you know, hurt himself more. And like Leonardo's eyes generally are a lot like kind of narrower than the rest, which gives this kind of shrewd look like he's constantly like analyzing things. So just little things like that. Like, I love that, for instance, in the new series, they took that to the extreme, and each turtle in the new Nick series is, like, very different looking, which is, is nice. You know, as opposed to the old, they're basically the same, but just their color difference. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to address the, the fact that if you took the color out of the original cartoon, you couldn't tell them apart. Well, they still had a letter on their freaking belt for their first oh, name, which yeah, is kinda, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of goofy, but it's also, you know, that was a different... It was the 90s. Goofy was the Kazakh genre defining feature of that decade yeah so so my, my point is that like i loved the turtles and this movie was a super like it affected me in heavy ways like even to this day i feel like if you've got a movie that has a lot of say structural or thematic problems if you have good action scenes decent comedy and like fun character interactions then they'll overcome all those like other problems. And that right there, that sentence I just realized is exactly why I like Marvel movies. Most Marvel movies have huge structural and plot problems, but they have good action, fun characters, you know, like, and that just kind of overcomes those in my mind as a, you know, an audience member. And I can point that back to TMNT kind of teaching me this, this way of dealing with movies, you know? I think that's a basic rule of cinema. You got your good, you got your bad. As long as you do your certain things good, you can get away with some of the weaker stuff. Yeah, I recently learned how that can uh, fail with Pacific Rim 2, which, unlike Pacific Rim 1, which totally the good outweighed the bad, Pacific Rim 2 doesn't have the same luxury. Yeah, well, they didn't let Del Toro direct, so... Yeah, yeah. Anyway... I feel like they've still been trying to like get back at the, the their original TMNT movie. Like, okay, I like the second movie actually just fine. The uh, Secret of the Ooze, right? That movie yeah. was was okay. <laughs> it was not great, but no, uh, it was fine. It was like they actually shied away from some of the adult stuff going on in the first movie to make it a bit more kid friendly. Um, which you know what I think is kind of fair because. Yeah, I was like five years old when I watched the first movie. Now, admittedly, the fact that a bunch of kids are like smoking in a warehouse didn't make me want to smoke. So I don't know what the the fear really is. Or the fact that uh, Michelangelo says, and I'm quoting, Ninja kick the damn rabbit, <laughs> you know, was kind of awesome to me. Uh, but, I, you know, sometimes I guess there's some sort of justified I think the fears. bigger thing that came out of me was kids beating each other with sticks. I guess. I mean, I mean that's true because that, that's cause just we, what we do. Yeah, I mean, the opening scene in the second movie, right, has them fighting a bunch of foot in like a deli market or something, and basically the the turtles aren't using their weapons. They're using like I know Mikey's using like cold cut combos. I remember the joke. Um, 
Yeah, so they made the fights more like jokey and less serious. Which I remember, even as a kid, kind of bugged me. It's like, they've got their weapons. Why aren't they using them? Well, plus the jokes in the first movie were great. Like, I still, to this day, anytime I get the excuse to make the... There's a scene in the first movie where the turtles are fighting the foot, and the foot pouring out axes, and they start, like, slicing at them, and Mikey's dodging, and he goes... uh, And, like, Donnie's dodging, and Donnie goes, these guys think they're all lumberjacks. And Mikey (laughs) says... No joke. The only thing safe in the woods would be the trees. And that kills me every time. That's a good one. I'd forgotten that one. Anyway, I feel like I've I've gone on about TMNT for more than uh, long enough. I love the movie. I think it holds up. I think it's better than every other Teenage Mutant Turtle movie to come out since. And if for some reason you out there haven't seen it and you like turtles in any form, seriously watch it. Yeah, no. Don't let the age of the movie deter you. Exactly. All right, so we started out, you know, we said we each had kind of different definitions of what a 90s action movie is. And for me, a 90s action movie is defined by one-liners, violence, and ridiculously buff guys sweating way more than guys in that good of shape should. And to me, one of the best examples of that is the original Predator. God, I love this movie. For the record, it came out in 1987, but all right. (laughs) I don't care. Miss had... Arnold Schwarzenegger in a jungle fighting a giant monster alongside some of the biggest names in Hollywood at the time, Jesse the Snake Ventura. Ah, and the one-liners. God, the one-liners. My personal favorite being when they're all flying in on the helicopter, you know, and uh, Jesse turns to everyone else. He's offering them some dip, and they don't want me. He says, what the hell's wrong with y'all? This shit'll make you a sexual tyrannosaurus just like me. I want that t-shirt, man. Plus, Jesse Ventura went on to be an actual governor of an actual state, so hearing an actual yeah. governor say that is pretty awesome. So the fa- Or the great line when Arnold throws a knife and pins a guy over the wall. <laughs> Stick around. Come on! Yeah. Oh, by the way, I don't I wouldn't understand how anyone out there could possibly not know Predator, but just in case, uh, Predator, like I said, 1987 movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger leads a, a mercenary team essentially into, I want to say Cambodia, but I can't remember. It was some South American country because it was the 80s. Oh, it was it was an it was an Asian country. Was it? Oh yeah, it was. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Point mm-hmm. is, they're going to this jungle because like some green berets essentially got lost there and then while they're in the jungle suddenly an alien called the predator uh or the yawag i can't remember what their official it's comic Yawak- name is. I, anyway, I, is, spell, I can't pronounce it point is this alien with dreadlocks starts hunting them and that's the movie yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple in my opinion while not my favorite arnold schwarzenegger movie probably the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with quotation marks. As in my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie is not really an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, it's just a movie with him in it. But this one is probably the best like movie that fits that archetype. And is certainly the manliest movie I think ever made. Oh, the testosterone levels. Are just... Because one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories was everyone on the set was constantly lifting weights, trying to pump themselves up. It was a constant, you know, pissing contest. And the two biggest culprits were Schwarzenegger and Ventura. And one day when Ventura was in costuming, he saw that his sleeves were bigger than Arnold's. And he got all excited and he ran after Arnold and said, hey, man, let's measure our arms. I think I'm bigger than you now. And they go and they measure Schwarzenegger's and they measure Ventura's. And Schwarzenegger is like three to four inches bigger. And he's all upset. <laughs> And what they'd done is they had made Schwarzenegger's smaller to show off just how big this guy is. That's because that's Mr. Universe right there. I mean, this was like not quite the top of his, uh, like if you see his old Mr. Universe photos, like you see the peak of him, but still, yeah, he looked like his arms did not look real in Predator. No. And again, this whole movie is just these, a bunch of, you know, action tropes, swearing, cussing, one-linering it through the jungle. I don't. I don't care how goofy it is. I still love the when he comes up to uh, Dylan. Dylan, you son of a bitch! And they have that that handshake where they're actually arm wrestling. And he starts. What's the matter, Dylan? Got you pushing too many pencils? Yes, just that you can feel. You smell the testosterone at home through the movie. 
Also, you know, it's a common thing to do the Arnold Schwarzenegger impression and super overdo it, the get to the chopper. But it really isn't that over the top in the movie. Like, not in this movie. I started to learn English at this point. Like, if you want to see, I feel like if you want to see Arnold at his most, like, impressionable, it's probably in Jingle All the Way, personally. But, uh, yeah. I would say Conan. Well, Conan, he doesn't speak enough, I think. Because he doesn't speak English, but when he does... But that's what I'm saying. It's like in, in Jingle All the Way, you get the put the cookie down. That's my yeah. cookie. So, you get stuff guess. like that. But another one of the really cool parts, like, and I remember the reason this movie is stuck with your song, this was a movie my brothers and I would watch after school anytime it was on at any point in the movie because there's no bad point to jump into this movie. Yeah. Although I would say that if I came into the movie after the let's just shoot the jungle scene, I'd be pretty sad because that scene is amazing. For anyone who does. Oh. No, there's a point where literally uh, one of the characters freaks out because the alien can turn visible. So he starts firing into the jungle. And so then his buddies come up and they don't ask him why he's firing in the jungle because they know each other. They're a unit. So they're like, okay, if he's firing that, that direction, there must be something there. So they just start firing at it too. So you've got like three or four guys with automatic weapons just destroying this section of jungle. And it's amazing. Yeah. No. Uh, producers of Punisher, listen. If you have a minigun, you should use it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, or come on, the great standoff when, uh, I believe it's Jesse, not Jesse, who, uh, oh, I had his name a few minutes ago. Benny Stand- has the standoff with the knife on the oh, log yeah, against the Predator. Just cuts his whole chest down, because, you know, to get ready for battle. It's too bad we don't get to see it, but still pretty awesome. Another fun fact about that one, he got so into character the other actors hired a bodyguard to protect them from him. Really? Hmm. Yeah, he got so far into character, he freaked him out. You know, you talk about the, the cheesy one-lines, too. So there was a while where Ulrich and I changed our Facebook profile pictures to be his was Jesse Ventura's character, and mine was Arnold Schwarzenegger's character with a quote. The one you had was the sexual Tyrannosaurus. And the quote I chose was, to me, what is possibly the best action movie, or at least maybe not the best, but the most indicative action movie line I've ever heard, which is just Arnold looking back at his friends and going, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Yes. That was just... I don't know how to describe that moment in the movie if you haven't seen it, but it's this great just, okay, we are going to kill this thing, and then the Predator goes, oh, really? Yeah, and then proceeds to pick them all up. Basically, Arnold can't win until it's only him, but it's awesome to watch. And there's that. that great showdown at the end. Because Arnold breaks its cloaking device and figures out it can see heat vision. So he goes and coats himself in mud and lays out all these great booby traps to try and, you know, get the Predator. But the Predator figures out what he's up to and actually goes around his booby traps. Well, except the point is that one of the best parts of the movie is that Arnold uh, guessed that would happen. So he set up a booby trap around the booby trap. (laughs) So, by the way, Arnold's character's name is Dutch. So makes it easier. Yeah. Which I like. Uh, for some reason, I like that. Just Dutch. <laughs> also, can I take a moment to talk about the sound work? Uh, not, not just the music, because the soundtrack is is great. amazing. Like, it's super immersive and tense. But uh, there's a reason why my text tone for, like, two years was the Predator click sound. And you used you get... to scare the hell out of yourself? <laughs> yeah, if you get woken up by that, it's like, huh, huh, <laughs> I don't want to die! And have my skull pulled out. Oh god. Yeah, let's. Yeah, the, I, we need to mention that the predator takes its trophy by ripping your spine and skull out, Mortal Kombat style. <laughs> also, the design for the predator is just awesome. Like I say, he's got dreadlocks, but his face is this like spider mandible thing that's just really creepy and cool. And and like, iconic. I yeah, mean, very you instantly iconic. see that you recognize it. Exactly. Which, uh, again, this is probably well-known at this point, but originally this movie was going to have Jean-Claude Van Damme play the, the alien, and it was going to be more of like a, a smaller, kind of bright, orangey-looking thing that was more like ninja. A lot quicker, a lot nimbler. Yeah, but he was so dwarfed by the cast that they were like, no, this ain't going to work. He's not, not intimidating enough. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie was essentially what we'd had up to this point. Big buff guys fight other big buff guys. This guy went... What if the other big buff guy was a big buff alien? You're like, <laughs> oh, cool, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because the Predator is like, what, like seven foot five in the movie? Like eight feet yeah. tall? He's a beast, and he just tosses Arnold around like a ragdoll, which again, this is a great movie. This is 
the for me the quintessential definition of a 90s action movie big buff sweaty guys beating other big buff sweaty guys and i know as homoerotic as that sounds it wasn't for it wasn't then i know it it was kind of homoerotic but you know not in a good way <laughs> yeah i'd say another fun fact is this is Shane, one of Shane Black's very first movies that he wrote oh, yeah. and directed also he's in it yeah and i'm really 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 hoping his reboot, sequel, prequel, whatever he's got working, actually is good. Because there hasn't been a bad Predator movie since this one, but they haven't gotten one as good as this one. I would say Predators, with the plural, was damn close. Like, I would say it's only that a came really damn score. close, and it's the pity that it did not get the sequel it deserved. Yeah, I mean, because Predator 2, with uh, Glover as the, the main guy, is is goofy, Instead of being like, instead of being goofy and the like, oh, we've got a bunch of muscle-bound guys in the the jungle spouting one-liners. It's goofy as in the like, we've got hoodoo gang members getting picked off and Gary Busey, Gary Buseying it up. So, I think they knew there was no way to top what they did the first time. You're not going to get even bigger guys to fight an even bigger monster. So let's try something different. Plus, that's the one that gave us that kick-ass net. Yeah, certainly. Which then, still haunts my dreams. Oh, oh, definitely. And then we had the two Alien vs. Predator movies, which failed for a number of different reasons. But if we just focus on the Predator for a moment, the first movie, I remember watching Alien vs. Predator when it came out and literally thinking, did they just pick the stoner Predators from class? These are really crappy Predators. <laughs> like They're not yeah. good at their job. And before you get on the comments and tell us this is supposed to be their initiation challenge, I don't care. Yeah, they should no, be I, better than this. Yeah, no, I recognize that they're like not full-blooded predators because there's an entire like uh, hierarchy of of how predators ranked based on like whether they've killed an alien, whether they've killed a queen, whether they've cleaned out a nest. I've read plenty of the Alien vs. Predator comics, so you know you don't have to get on me about that. But still, like if we have this movie, it's the first Alien vs. Predator movie, and the predators that you have brought to bear for the movie all seem to suck, at least comparatively to like what we know predators are capable of doing, it it just is super frustrating. It's funny because Alien vs. Predator Requiem seemed to fix that because we have like a full-blown predator who can take on multiple xenomorphs at once, but then that movie has problems of like, hey, let's make the entire thing too dark for anyone to see, and let's put in imagery that nobody wants to see with the nursery scene, and let's fill it with the... Haunt us till the end of our days. If you haven't seen that, don't do it. Just, just, no... Let's also fill it with a bunch of cliche, like, 80s horror movie kids to kill. So it's like, we went from, you know, badass group of mercenary muscle builders, and now we're at, like, essentially kids from, like, Nightmare on Elm Street are are humans. Like, what the hell? And then we get back around to Predators, which is, there is a game preserve where the Predators will now hunt Earth's most deadly people. Yeah, and so it's like we don't have mercenaries necessarily, but we've got, you know, a soldier, a mercenary, a serial killer. It's like, okay, this is this was a good idea. So the only reason I would say Predators doesn't quite live up to Predator is because of just like like tone, right? Like don't get me wrong, Adrian Brody is a great actor. Like he knows what he's doing, but you know, it's it's unfair to compare him to what Arnold was doing in the first Predator. <laughs> yeah, he's not as hard as they tried, he's not an action hero. Yeah. And I really would love, more than anything, to see the Expendables cross over with Predator. Sure. I mean, I hate the Expendables, but to see a Predator hunt them down would probably uh, be a good thing for me. (laughs) I like the second one. That's about it. But, you know, if you're going to bring back relics of classic action, I just want to see Arnold see a Predator and go, not again. Now I like the idea of Jet Li basically doing the, like, square up on the log thing and just... (laughs) Oh, that'd be awesome. See, we need this to happen. Imagine how cool this would be. Yeah, oh. actually, that, that sounds like a good idea now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it. Jason <laughs> is cracking terrible jokes about the the Predator. So. Wesley Snipes? Come on, man. You know he's got the one-liners. I guess. I just, I feel, I've always felt like Jason Statham is terribly underutilized in the American market because he's such a great comedic presence. But I love movies like Snatch and other Guy Ritchie affairs. So. Yeah. All right, so why don't you talk, tell us about your second choice. Okay, well, so I mentioned before that I think Predator is probably the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but not my favorite movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. That's because my favorite movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it is Terminator 2, which 
I think is a stone cold masterpiece. And that's not really a, yeah. um, it's not really a contentious uh, opinion. I, I know there are plenty of reviewers who don't actually feel that way. Hell, we've mentioned Bob Chipman a number of times in the show because we're both fans of him. And he thinks that Terminator 2 is disappointing compared to the first one. And you know what? He's perfectly allowed to have that opinion. But me, when I was growing up, Terminator 2 was the first movie that I saw that made me think that movies are art or that they are something beyond just mindless entertainment. Like it completely upended my understanding of what a movie is. Oh, I loved this movie as a kid. I watched it so many times and not the cut for TV version, the original gory, horrible version. I don't know how I got away with this. Mom, if you're listening, why (laughs) did you let me watch this? Yeah. You know, it's funny because speaking of moms, like growing up, I always saw myself and my mom as John Connor and Sarah Connor respectively, but that's because I actually watched my mom, you know, like fight people and stuff. So I had this image of her as a badass. But besides the point, I mean, Linda Hamilton in this movie is insane. Like she she worked in boot camp for like quite a while to prepare for the movie. And like, do you know that this movie had problems in its UK showings? Because in the the scene where Sarah Connor escapes from the mental institution, she actually picks the lock like real picks. She learned how to do it. And the UK was like, uh, yeah, we don't want to show a movie that actually shows someone picking a lock. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, but this movie also like does a lot of really clever things. Like it makes use of twins twice in the movie. So there's two times in the movie where the main villain, the T-1000 takes on the form of someone in order to, like kill them and take their place, and they're like, "Oh, that's a that's an effect." No, he just hired people who were twins, or James Cameron who made the movie. Which I didn't know cool. that. Yeah, the first time is with the guard that. Uh, uh, I knew I had heard that. Yep, and the I second one is vaguely. the second one is Linda Hamilton herself. Linda Hamilton has a twin. So. I didn't know that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they brought her on for for the scene where the T one thousand is uh, Sarah Connor. Well, speaking of which. Really quick, there is one major story problem I've always had with Terminator 2 that I have no explanation for, and I just usually ignore it. But for pros- prosperity, I want to want to say it here. At the end of the movie, uh, they're going through this metal factory, essentially. Uh, I think it's a car. It's a steel factory. factory. Yeah, it's a steel factory. Uh, the T-1000 finds Sarah and pins her to a wall and starts saying, Call John call John now or call to John. So he has her stabbed through the shoulder and pinned to the wall, right? And then it cuts away, and then we see, like, John, and suddenly we see Sarah coming up, and we think, like, all right, she got away from him somehow. And then we see another Sarah come up with, like, a, you know, a grenade launcher. or No, no a shotgun. Shotgun. The grenade launcher is the term. She comes out with a shotgun and shoots, like, the fake Sarah and saves John. It's like, okay, this is a badass scene, but how did she get away from him when we just saw that the T-1000 had her pinned to the wall with his stabby finger. Well, you see, I've got an answer for you. Lyndall Hamilton was so awesome, she overpowered him off screen and ran away. <laughs> she was just that much of a badass. I mean, I want to... non-existent robot balls. I want to agree with you. <laughs> so... If you've got a better answer, let us know. I'm sticking to she overpowered him with her sheer badass nature, she intimidated a fearless robot. And you know what? I would, if that's an explanation, I love it. It's one of those things where it's like, I, this doesn't damage the movie for me. It's just one of those things where like, this is a plot hole that I can't logically get away from. So I'm just going to ignore it because the rest of the movie is so awesome. I've never thought about it, to be honest. Like, until you brought that up, I've never noticed that because I'm so engrossed in this movie. Yeah. No, I don't think about it while I'm watching it. It's just like I was thinking about it afterwards you know, some years back, and I was like, yeah, there's no explanation given for how she got away from the un- unkillable killing machine. So, anyway, speaking of... So, we talked about... Well, I should say speaking of... Uh, when I was talking about TMNT, I mentioned the annoying child character that's in tons of 90s action movies. Even T- T2 even circumvents that, because the kid in T2, who actually plays John Connor is awesome and he's totally a stereotype 90s kid like oh god yes like he looks like he listens to probably a lot of nirvana he's all grunge dressed his voice is a little annoying but generally he comes off as a badass who knows what he's doing i mean the first scene is like him like breaking into a uh like an atm and shit so like we get the feeling that 
this kid actually knows how to survive, right? Well, I think it kind of helps, like, okay, I can see this kid leading humanity's, you know, last stand against the machines. Yeah, and we also really get the feeling that he's a good kid without being an annoyingly good kid, right? Because, yeah. like, I remember, for instance, when Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, one of the things I hated about it was that the Charlie in that movie is basically, like, Jesus. He's, like, so pure, right? No flaws whatsoever. Yeah, but John Connor in this movie, he's you know he's a little selfish. He's a bit of a uh, a jerk, but he does care about human life. That's why he tells the Terminator not to kill people. So like we get the feeling, okay, this is a a smart kid who's kind of gritty, who makes sense as a kid, but who also has empathy. So we can see him becoming the man we're told he's going to become. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but this was my first Schwarzenegger film that I'd ever seen. Like I hadn't seen the first Terminator or anything. But I had a sense that Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a killer robot. So mm -hmm. for me, the whole opening worked because I had no idea he was actually the good guy. Yeah, I I think I saw Terminator 2 before Terminator 1 as well. But that's I think that's because of tone. Because Terminator 1 is more of a horror movie where the monster happens to be a robot from the future instead of like Michael Myers or something. But Terminator mm -hmm. 2 is more of a sci-fi movie, right? That is like dealing with questions of philosophy, like what is free will? What is fate? Uh, you know, what does being a person mean? And that's part of what I mean when I say this movie completely changed how I viewed movies as a whole. And the special effects. Oh, yeah, the T-1000 still, still looks up. great to this day. I mean... We talked about, you know, Henson's dark magic before, but James Cameron used a bit of it in this movie, and then he kind of lost it as time went on. But this movie, he had it! Well, James Cameron's always been really more of an engineer than an actual filmmaker. Like, he's really good at making effects and things like that and yeah i still think that the t-1000 is one of the most terrifying movie villains i've seen something about robert patrick's uh, performance is just bone chilling and terrifying it doesn't help that he's a cop yeah <laughs> so. i was gonna say can we talk about the fact that a cop was the villain in a 90s movie yeah and and we can say that you know literally he's not a cop but the fact that the movie has him in the uniform the entire movie it's probably it is probably part of what my current um, paranoia around police officers is made of. Just, well, just saying. He's an L.A. police officer in the 90s. If you know what's going on in L.A. in the 90s, it's not that different from L.A. now, but still, this was an interesting choice, to say the least. That's a pretty ballsy move when you put it that way. Yeah, no, think, think about that for a second. I also love, if you compare Terminator 1 to 2, and you know, it's, it's Linda Hamilton both times, and she's barely recognizable. I don't mean physically. I just mean like the difference in character that she portrays just in those two movies is amazing. Because you believe in the first movie that she's this like, you know, weak, damsel in stress, regular 80s chick. And then in the T2, she's this badass, hardcore military girl who you get the feeling could like crush you with the slight. She's got that line where she freaking she breaks that guy's like wrist. And her arm, and he's like, "You broke my arm." And she's like, "You've got oh so many bones in your body. That's one." <laughs> so, and I love it. Oh God, yes. And I feel like we're kind of you know not talking about Schwarzenegger, but again, there's so many, so much incredible acting going on in this movie that Schwarzenegger kind of gets sidelined a bit. Well, in all fairness, his role in the movie is basically to not act. He's acting in a non-emotional role, which. I don't see that as being a particularly difficult job. I mean, sure, maybe if I was doing it in a movie, I could have a better sense of perspective. But yeah. I was talking I was talking with Stevie about this yesterday. I don't really consider Arnold Schwarzenegger an actor. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing him in movies because he's a personality. And generally, mm -hmm. he plays a version of himself in some way. Or he doesn't act at all, like with the Terminator. So, yeah, he's not really an actor. You know, he just he plays the character we want to see him play. Yeah, but we still all kind of teared up at the very end when he lowers himself into the molten steel. And, you know, one of the best lines in the movie, I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. Yeah, that's right up there with uh, the speech from Blade Runner, I think, in just the gut punch. Yeah, uh, I would say there's probably a, a, a large contingent of people out there who wouldn't like the comparison between Blade Runner and T2 because they're very different kind of movies, but I do agree with you. And... And yeah, there's a reason why the, the hand going into the thumbs up as it gets lowered in is iconic as hell. And yeah, I, I tear up 
usually when I when I see that. Like it still hits me to this day. But I think it's because it hits me right in the childhood, you know? Yeah. Because so many of us saw it when we were, you know, way too young to see this. This had toys, people. Yeah, plus it's one of those things where it's like this movie taught you to empathize with a murder machine, a machine whose literally is uh, creation purpose is to kill people who just happen to be reprogrammed. Like that's literally the, the movie's you know framing of this character. But through his interactions with John, we the audience come to not just like him but root for him and, and want him to have what seems to be this happy life with uh, with John, even though it's yeah. not really a life. No, it also told us to fear the robots for they will brutally murder us first chance they get. Oh, can I say a last thing about – so I, I can sing the praises of Terminator 2 for days easily. I, I think it's a movie that stands up no question asked and is easily my favorite James Cameron movie. I love Aliens, don't get me wrong, but like I said, T2 is this whole other thing for me. Uh, yeah. But I want to say that the Sarah Connor nightmare sequence – still haunts oh. me to this day like the 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 score the the framing the the actual imagery like that terrified the hell out of me yeah i know it's kind of something i miss from you know all the movies we've talked about thus far they had a you know you knew the score to this movie the ke- this uh, catch song and i don't know this dun, one dun, I dun, put... dun, dun. yes dun, 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 dun. for me it's right up there with mortal Kombat. and then i want to go start a fight now yeah, I can believe that. Although I will say that the rest of the Terminator thing, the do 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 do, like the soft part, actually is hauntingly beautiful. Like when I hear yeah. that that score, it makes me like feel almost scared. Like it's well, just... now I feel bad about starting that fight. <laughs> exactly, that's the point. It's like that the dun 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 dun, dun is action packed, but the middle part is all like about the sadness of war, you know, and and what's going on with humanity. Also, actually, I do have one more thing. So, Terminator Two is one of my favorite depictions of time travel because Terminator 2 basically establishes that time cannot be changed. Skynet is inevitable because Skynet sent robots back in time, meaning that nothing that can happen in the Terminator universe can actually change history or the future because the fact that they went back in time was already part of the timeline, right? That's what yep. Terminator 2 basically establishes. And then Terminator 3 fucks it up entirely. It completely says, no, actually, we can change the past by just by moving Judgment Day up a few years, they completely destroy that picture of how time travel works, and I will never forgive it for it. And I think Terminator 3 is, like, it angers me so much. At least Salvation, like, yeah, I was expecting a movie Something about... New. Yeah, I was expecting a movie that actually took place during the war. Like, I wanted to see Salvation as a movie, but Terminator 3 just shouldn't have existed at all. Uh, I think Genesis is worse, because it's dumb. Oh yeah, no, Genesis is worse as a movie, but Terminator 3 is worse for what it did to the Terminator franchise, in my opinion. Fair enough. Alright, anyway, what is your final movie to talk about? I'm gonna go with a controversial pick, because I know a lot of people really don't like this movie, but I love it. I rewatched it recently. Uh, Last Action Hero. See, my knowledge about Last Action Hero was very minimal because I watched it once when I was young. I saw clips of it in videos making fun of it in my college days, and that's my extent. Like, so you go ahead. This is another one I watched with my brothers all the time, if it was on, regardless of time. And I think it's mainly because we were Schwarzenegger fans. I mean, we all grew up 80s and 90s and Schwarzenegger... And this movie is, the, to me, the quintessential um, satire, I guess, of the 90s action film. A kid gets, through Magic Ticket, pulled into his favorite Schwarzenegger film, which he's then trying to explain to Schwarzenegger why this he isn't really in a movie by pointing out all the tropes that go into an action film. And I know a lot of people didn't like that. They didn't think it was funny. Or, you know, stuff happening wasn't consistent. This isn't what happens in an action film. I, but... do love, I do love that scene at the end where he pulls the Schwarzenegger character into the real world and the car's driving away and Schwarzenegger character shoots at it and nothing happens. And he's like, the car didn't blow up. It, it always blows up. <laughs> exactly. And it has such this great sense of humor about itself, I think. I guess. Uh, I, I did like, what was the, there was a joke where, like, he wanted to prove that the guy was in a movie, so I took him to a video store, and there was a big like poster for Terminator 2, but it was Sylvester Stallone instead of uh, Arnold. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that. That would be a whole other movie. I, yeah. <laughs> I can see it. 
I'd watch it just to see. But no, there's jokes like that. Or when he shoots the guy in the closet, like, there was a frogman in your closet. How did you know he was in there? There's always one in there. Like, this is an everyday occurrence for him. <laughs> or the cop getting blown up like, oh, only had two days till retirement. I think this movie, had it come out a few years later, like after the action movie craze had kind of passed, it would have been much more received. Because when this came out, we were still in the grips of the action movie. We're still buying these. We still love these. We hadn't had enough time to look back nostalgically and go, wow, I had forgotten this. It's almost like a Deadpool movie, but without Deadpool, since it's, you know, it's both engaging in and making fun of all the action tropes, right? Yes. I love this movie. I mean, and again, part of that is Schwarzenegger is just hamming it up, having just all the fun he can. Because he doesn't have to act dour and, you know, grim. He gets to be, you are the quintessential manly man of men. He's like, I already knew that, but okay. I mean, that's what I love about Running Man and Total Recall, that he gets to just ham it up in those two movies a whole lot, so. And come on, uh, Tywin Lannister is the bad guy? Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I was watching, like, oh my god, Tywin Lannister is the bad guy. And he does great at it, being this James Bond-esque villain. And when I say James Bond-esque, I'm talking Golden Age Bond, not this weird, super serious, dour one. Yeah, yeah. I've got a crazy scheme to take over the world. I've got a question. So, this is the third movie we've talked about with Schwarzenegger, but it's also the third movie we've talked about with a precocious 90s kid in it. So, since I haven't seen the movie in a long time... What do you say about the kid? Because isn't that one of the main problems people have with it? Is that the kid is super annoying and does not redeemable like with John Connor and T two? Kinda. He's not really bad. I mean, when I think bad uh, inclusion to an action film, I think Short Round. Okay, I, Short Round is funny, but he's problematic from like a you know outside political perspective. So I don't know okay. if he's so much fun. He's more he he feels kind of annoying. And this kid, yeah, he's got a bit of it and he doesn't really hey. have a lot of redeeming, you know, character traits to it. You call him annoying all you want, but I still laugh every time he goes, "You call him Dr. Jones, lady." Yeah, so. I laugh. I said, "But short rounds kind of my one." I was like, "I never really been bought. I can't really think of an example of annoying child actor from the 90s. Except short round kind of rubbed me the wrong way." I mean, there are parts I laugh, but it's like, you're also really kind of annoying. Yeah, but that's also 80s again, so... Yeah, but uh, we've already been over this. I lump it all Yeah, but I would say that... Okay, even by your definitions, though, I don't think Indiana Jones falls into the, uh, you know, 90s action movie style. Indiana Jones... No, it's... it's, I I wouldn't... It's very... I I can make an argument. It would be pretty tough. But no, he... I wouldn't say... And I think part of it is I like him because his backstory, I really like... This is a kid living in New York who gets mugged and held at gunpoint. And mm-hmm. his one escape is going to the movies to see an action film where none of this bad shit exists. Even though usually in action films, all that bad shit exists. It's just that cops deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And it's bright and it's sunny. And that's one of the things I think this movie, I think, is really well done is when he's in the movie part, it's bright, it's sunny, it's you know beautiful. When he's in the real world, it's dark, it's dreary, it's rainy. Mm. That's that's good. Um, kind of thing about escapism. It's a good directing choice, sure. Yeah, and doesn't that, doesn't that movie involve at the end freaking death from Seventh Seal coming out and solving the problems? So. Yeah, but it's Ian McKellen is death, so it gets a pass. Oh, okay, I agree then. Like the end is kind of the movie doesn't hold up all the way through because yeah, death does come and gives this prophetic speech and it's kind of takes you out of it, but it's Ian McKellen's death. So you're like, well, okay, fine. I mean, (laughs) if Ian McKellen walked into your house and started eating your food, you'd be like, well, it's Ian McKellen. So I guess so. I mean, this is Gandalf. Yeah. I can see that. There's just, like I said, this movie almost feels like if it had waited a few more years or even came out now, we would like this a whole lot more. And I, because... I bet there's some truth to that, yeah. Even though, I, like I said, I'm, I'm going based on what you're talking about. Just based on what I know from the movie, I feel like it would probably be more popular now than it was then. To me, it's in the same camp as Demolition Man, where if you watched with today's context, it's a whole other film. Mm. All right. Because they're both, well, the Demolition Man satires what society has kind of become. This movie kind of satires 
action hero movies and why we don't and you know we don't have action hero movies anymore we have superhero movies which are kind of the next logical evolution of superhero movies but if you grew up watching these it's kind of refreshing to have your nostalgia kind of poked fun at it. well plus you know if a movie like ready player one can exist which is in a lot of ways reference the movie and don't get me wrong i like ready player one the movie actually more than the book um but if that can exist, then it would make sense to me that a movie like Last Action Hero would like be popular in today's day and age. So No, I definitely say go give it a watch, especially if you like Schwarzenegger just hamming it up. Did that movie have... Okay, so when we're talking about action movies, I feel like the modern action movie, at least in my, uh, for my money, started with the Dirty Harry series. Uh, so like Clint Eastwood in a lot of ways. Um so does that movie have any nods to that, or am I just spitballing? Well, they got the 357 Magnum. Okay. So, I mean, it's a step. And Arnold walks around with the Desert Eagle. Yeah. Okay. But there's not really any nods to the, you know, Dirty Harry-style stuff that kind of got going. That's too bad. And we've talked about it before, and I think the very last act, true action, 90s action hero film was uh, the... Angelina Jolie, Tomb Raider. That, to me, was the last action hero film. And we've agreed dumb. that this isn't, isn't, isn't a statement of quality about the film. It's just a statement about style of the film. Yeah, and this was kind of, you know, it had run its course because it was dumb. It had cool stunts and a wonky plot, but it was kind of like we've reached this point. We have done all we can with this genre. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I feel like um, – 90s style action movies still get made they're just not they're not dominating because we and you talk about this too we both feel that the movie that killed the the 90s style action movie as the dominating blockbuster force is the matrix like the matrix completely rewrote how the blockbuster action movie was essentially but it doesn't mean that it could still get made i mean one of my favorite movies in recent years was hardcore henry and besides the uh, first-person gimmick, which I love, by the way. But besides that, in a lot of ways, it's basically a, a dumb 90s movie. It's also kind of a video game movie, but anyway, Hardcore Henry is a super interesting piece. But the point is that they still get made. They're just not... They don't rule the blockbuster like they actually did in the 90s. I just look at, you know, any movie Schwarzenegger, Stallone, or any of the old guard have done in recent years hasn't, you know, been that good or done that well. To me, that kind of like this genre has passed, but it's okay because we have so many classics. I mean, yeah, sure. the list goes on. We have so many we didn't talk about. I mean, we didn't even scratch on, does Rocky fall into this category or is it more of a sports no. movie? Rocky is like 70s and 80s and it's definitely a sports movie. Well, what about when he, the later movies when he fights uh, Drogo? Okay, yes. Rocky Four. I can accept Rocky Four, but the original Rocky and Rocky Two, completely different animals. And Rocky Three is great. We're starting to get there. Like I said, we have a there's a ton of action movies we didn't talk about. Uh, I mean, leave some of your favorites love, down in the comments below. I mean, I loved any issues talk about Con Air, which like I don't consider oh, Nicholas Cage an action star, but Con Air is damn enjoyable. So. Yes. So no, like I said, leave a comment down below telling us what your favorite action movie is and why. I mean, again, there are so many we didn't talk about. Namely because I will cover, I will take the 80s and 90s if it came out in that time period and it fits my category of shit gets blown up and a guy says awesome one-liners. Hell, the Pierce Brosnan Bond era fits that too. Yeah. Which I feel like Pierce Brosnan in the later years has gotten a lot of like crap as a Bond, but I feel like he was really effective as a Bond. I mean, I'm with you that I feel like, no offense to Daniel Craig, actually Daniel Craig's a great actor, but I'm not a huge fan of He's not a good Bond. I'm not a fan of the darker, like grittier, but I, I was never a fan of the Jason Bourne movies. Like for me, a spy <laughs> movie should be over the top and ridiculous. That's why I like and, old golden era Bond. Yeah. So. And that's why I love Kingsman because to me, Kingsman kind of scratches that itch. Agreed. Except for Kingsman 2, which I found to be boring. But anyway. I like Kingsman 2, but another topic, another time. All right. So we've talked about our four movies. Like you said, if you have uh, any you want to promote, considering that we seem to live in a time where even though we have access to all of you know information and movies and time we have so many coming out that there are plenty of kids and and you know younger people who don't engage with a lot of these older classics or well, classics quote unquote <laughs> so um so if you want to promote it go ahead but uh for our suggestions of the week i want to talk about a new movie that according to the box office you probably did see but i want to talk about it anyway which is uh, a quiet place did you see that 
No, I really want to. Um, yeah. With a, you know, with a baby at home, it's kind of tricky to go out and see movies a lot harder than I thought it would be. I totally understand. It doesn't mean that when I talk about a movie, I'm not going to lead with, did you see it yet? So I know how to work with it. But yeah, so A Quiet Place uh, made by John Krasinski, that guy from The Office. And I actually haven't watched a whole lot of The Office, so that doesn't really mean anything to me. But A Quiet Place is a, a monster movie that takes place in a post-apocalypse where these creatures show up have shown up and they're like fully armored so that they are basically impossible to kill and their heads are they have no eyes no nose but their head is almost entirely an auditory organ so they hear really well so then the people who've survived in the family that were following the movie they all can speak sign language because they have a, a daughter who's deaf so since they're already good at having no sound they have survived like 400 and some days into the apocalypse like the the movie says like you know like day 460 or something like that so the movie works because it's just this tense monster movie where you know any sound and the movie is very deliberate about when it has like you know sounds like makes you i felt like my chest hurt the entire movie it was so tense like i never heard yeah, I never want to watch this movie again because it hurt me to watch it, but damn, is it good at what it does. Like, I'm glad I saw it. I just, I don't want to do it again. But I would certainly recommend it to anyone who likes monster movies or who likes tension movies. Yeah, Fair. no, I'm really trying to find a way to get out and go see it because the last movie I saw that kind of fit this one was Don't Breathe. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but... No, I didn't see Don't Breathe. I would say that because this movie is so reliant on sound, you should see it in a theater. Like, I saw it in a theater that was sold out. I saw it mm-hmm. in a sold-out theater, and it's still, like, the second that the movie starts, that theater went quiet, went completely quiet. Like, the movie's really good at sucking you in. So if you can't see it in a theater with the loudspeakers all around you, then, you know, you need to see it with, like, a proper surround sound or even, like, really good headphones. But, you know, you need to make sure that your sound quality is, like, right there where, where you need it to see this movie, to enjoy it properly. No, it's definitely on my list. Hopefully I do get a chance to go see it. All right, so that's all I want to say about that. What's, what are your suggestions of the week? Um, my suggestions of the week, I took two of my favorite, you know, post-Channel Awesome producers because, unlike you, I've still been getting a lot of my content from Channel Awesome, and one of the ones I'm actually a big supporter is uh, The Dom. He has a great show called Lost in Adaptation where he takes books and, you know, were adapted to movies and basically breaks down are they any good, what they changed, what kept the it's- same. Uh, I've been following him since the beginning, and he's really taken off. He's got a lot of great content. Is His that the biggest... guy? Sorry, is really quick. Is that the guy who you sent me the video of him talking about why he thinks Watchmen, the movie, is better than the comic? Yes. Okay, it's a good video, and for I know for a lot of people that sentence just triggered the hell out of them. But keep in mind, Ulrich and I are both fans of the comic and the movie, and we think that there are legitimate arguments no matter which way, which part of that argument you, or which part of that discussion you fall on to. So. And he, he addresses it. And he also recently, last year, just finished up, he did all eight Harry Potter movies. Ooh. He's, he got, he's a really talented guy. He's got some great content out there. And if you are a book fan and you really love books and you hate, you know, some of these movie adaptations, give him a watch. He just started I, working his way through uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, I certainly have a lot to say about the, the Harry Potter adaptations um oh so did i that's why i was like okay no again really great guy interesting um my other one is a really an old school channel awesome producer she left a while ago and i've recently started following her because i she just dropped off the map of the channel awesome i picked her up recently is uh lindsay ellis formerly known as the nostalgia critic and she has I mean chick probably nostalgia chick nostalgia chick i'm sorry she has probably some of the best video essays out there well, you know what's funny? When, when she was the nostalgia chick, I had no interest in like her style. Once she got away from that moniker and just started going by Lindsay Ellis, her videos got way more interesting. And yeah, the stuff she puts out now is super good. Like she's she puts together a video essay very well. No, right now she's in the middle middle of a three part analysis of what went wrong with the Hobbit, which is yeah. really fascinating. And she's movie Bob approved. Movie Bob you know, promotes her any chance he gets, and I agree. This plus, is one of, you know, real talents that come out of Channel Awesome. Yeah, plus Lindsay Ellis put together a video called uh, Dear Stephanie Meyer, 
that basically made me completely rethink the amount of shit that I've leveled at Twilight over the years. So. Oh yeah, no, that was like, oh wait a second, hmm, okay, I feel bad now. No, yeah. like I said, great, she does great video essays on film analysis, movie analysis, plot analysis. It's just really generally great content. Uh, just out of curiosity, how did you feel about her video on Bright? Because I know you like that movie. Uh, listening to that helped me understand why people don't like that movie. That's good. I still really enjoy that movie, and I now recognize all the flaws. But to me, I just got this bubble of dumb about it, like, for <laughs> some reason. Hey, no, that's fine, man. Like, one of my favorite YouTubers, H Bomber Guy, put out a freaking, like, hour and 20-minute video on why Fallout 3 is a garbage game, and nothing he says in that video is wrong. I still like Fallout 3 as a game. So you can listen to a video and essay on why something is bad, agree with their points, and still like the thing for various reasons. Yeah, no, it really helped. Like, okay, now I see why people hate this. Now I kind of wonder if it was a mistake to put it in my top 10. <laughs> oh, well, it's stuck there forever now, buddy. Yeah, but, again, I admit it's bad. I enjoy it. I've got a bubble of dumb about it. So those are our suggestions. Um, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. We are now on Patreon, and links will be in the description below. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and stay honorable. <laughs>